2: Hi, regular listeners, you may have spotted that we've changed our name. It's now Honey and Co. the Food Sessions.
3: So if you hear this sound, it's just us making dinner.
2: Well, that and the fact that we're not allowed to use our old title anymore.
3: It's just been a bit of a thing, but don't worry about it.
2: We hope you enjoy the show.
3: Hi, thank you so much for downloading our podcast, the Honey and Co. My name is Itamar Sulovic, me and my wife have some restaurants in Fitzrovia, and a couple of cookbooks. Ever since we opened our restaurant we have been meeting so many incredible people who are cooking, who are making food, who are writing about food and we just want to have a little bit more time with them. We invite our favourite people once a month or twice a month to our deli Honey and Spice and we sit down and have a longer chat We cook from their books and from their culture, and this is a recording of these talks. I hope you enjoy it. Tonight we're joined by our virtual friend, Anja Dank, who we met through Instagram four or five years ago when she became friends with us on Instagram, sent us cookies and drawings, and we didn't know what hit us. And we were so happy when her book just came out, Strudel, Noodles and Dumplings, The New Taste of German Cooking. This is everything you thought you knew about German cooking, forget it, it is fresh, it is vibrant, it is easy to make, it is thrifty. Keep listening if you want to know about potato heartbreak soup, what it's like to be the only German kid in a Welsh village. We had a terrific night and I hope you enjoy it too. A run up, I think Christmas 13 or 14, we we can't decide, we were in the kitchen in Honey & Co. And we have a... a really nice postman that we, is always, you know, he works the street and we know him very well and he said, you know, a special package for you. You got something for Christmas. So we were very happy because we never get, you know, packages for Christmas and we were so busy as well we didn't even engage uh, with the whole um, Christmas action. We got, uh, we've opened the package. It was a beautiful tin and uh, it had a little note in it that we've opened. We were so excited to see what it is and we, we couldn't, read a word of it it was handwritten
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: and then we opened the box and it was jam-packed with beautiful biscuits and cookies all beautifully decorated and they looked amazing they smelled amazing and we're like what is this because we didn't know because we, we couldn't uh read and uh <laughs> yeah it's true uh you have so- i hope you don't mind me saying no, it. but i told not. you this no. a long yeah. many, many times yeah and uh, we were going to dig in and Julia, our head chef, she was like, no, don't go near this. This is Isis cookies. Don't touch this. (laughs) Put this away. And, you know, of course, in half an hour it was all gone. We were just like, yeah, all right. We just demolished it. Those beautiful cookies. And I don't know how, I think the one thing we managed to decipher was a little Instagram handle, which we went looking for. uh, and It was Coco in my Kitchen. Yeah. And this is how our kind of Instagram love affair with Anya and how we began. You were in Boston at the time and I think, you know, we just opened and we kind of liked each other on Instagram or, you know, the, just this word has changed uh, the meaning, the word like. It's not mm. what it used to be. But this was our, our entryway to the wonderful, very diverse world of, of Anya Dank because she would be putting up beautiful pictures of really amazing tables and beautiful shelves, you know, stacked with all these marvellous kitchen items and beautiful prints like the ones that we have now on our wall. And we got at a certain stage, we got a lovely drawing again in the post, but this time we knew already who is it from, even though we couldn't read again. (laughs) (laughs) And then we, we... I think we became a very strange kind of friends mm. that we've never met each other. We never spoke to each pen other.
4: Old-fashioned you know, yeah. kind pals. of pen yeah.
3: yeah, in a really old-fashioned way, but also very visual because it was all on Instagram. Mm. And then when when we finally met, it was so strange that we've never met before. And then we said, Anya, please, we love the packages, but you know, send an email or print. We can't <laughs> read this. We want to know what's going on and. No, still we get handwritten letters, <laughs> and we're so happy about it. Of course, when we opened this deli, the first person that we got in touch with was Anya to do us the, the prints that we love so much, and you know our customers, I guess you guys, love so much. And when this book came out, we knew that it was going to be something very, very special. Oh, that was the longest intro ever. <laughs> that I've done anyway but it it was you know a very special story for us tell mm-hmm. me a little bit about your your background and kind of how Okay hi
4: everyone hi yeah. um so I'm Anya um I am half Welsh and half German I was born in Wales to um, a German mum and a Welsh dad and then spent most of my childhood living um in lots of different places in Africa in Southeast Asia um all around the place with my dad's job um we came to settle back in wales when i was m- in my teenage years when you were yeah. travelling
3: will you have all s- like african food or malaysian food or
4: we had like I suppose a mixture. I mean, obviously, everywhere we live, we ate the uh, local cuisine as well. But really, most of the time, what we ate at home was cooked by my mum, which meant it was German food. And also, sort of moving around and not having a, a sort of set home meant that the, the food is what kind of connects you to your home much, much more. You have much stronger feelings about it. So, yeah, so German food is sort of what we grew up eating. It kind of
3: becomes your identity or distinction.
4: Yeah, I, I think your sort of sense of identity always becomes... Stronger when you're not connected to the ground that you're really from. I really, I, I, felt far more German growing up than anything else. I mean, you know, and I suppose because because I wasn't ever really connected to one place as such. It, my identity really was through through the food that we ate. And I mean, I'm sure. I
3: think like I'm sure like even in Wales there weren't a tremendous amount of half-German kids. Or, no, you know, uh, well, we were the only...
4: My brother and I were the only Germans in the <laughs> village. <laughs> and, um, which, you know...
3: You just have this <laughs> mental image of they're going to school with a ledo or
0: something.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, and I, I suppose um, food can also make you feel very different. I mean, growing up, I, you know, grew up with this German food in Wales as well. You know... Uh, Um, when we came back from being abroad we'd always do like a couple of months stint in Wales and at school you know my lunch boxes were always very German we had I think fried fish egg sandwiches and Lieberwurst with pickles and mustard and you know, just opening your lunchbox up and the smell of it put most people off. And, like, I was always so envious. There was there was a girl in school who had, um, like, Dairy Lee cream cheese, you know, cream crackers, and Dairy Lee and Kit Kats and salt and vinegar crisps. And I just really wanted this in my lunchbox, but no.
3: It's so, it's so funny how these things change. You see. Mm, yeah. yeah,
4: and now my poor children are suffering the same same as me. <laughs>
3: really? Are they the, the children not that are eating I in have the corner? Not not as
4: bad. I try and and make them feel sort of, you know, as much as much as anyone else around them as possible but their lunch boxes are still, you know, include salami or pate or gherkins, you but, know. The you German know, this things. is
3: kind of the, the German food that you grew up on. Mm. What you do and what you kind of become known for is is kind of your visual language and actually you you do so much, you I don't know if anyone here knows and his Instagrammer has seen it. There's always these amazing pictures of these beautifully arranged shelves, like an art gallery <laughs> yeah. or, you know, the, the tables that are laid to perfection, and the draw- the st- the stairs. Mm. That you've mosaiced, done, yeah, yeah the yeah. mosaic stairs that she's done. This I've never been to that to the Just not from Instagram. You
4: have to come. Yeah, so I, you're wish a I'd bit stalky
3: I wish i Actually, now. <laughs> 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 Do
0: you know? I think
4: everyone does on Instagram, though. Yeah. You, know? you it's a weird thing. I mean, it's a great thing on on many levels, and also a very strange thing. I think.
3: But um, where, where's this kind of visual obsession? No obsession I don't know. If that.
4: Well, I always wanted to do a degree in fine art, and I didn't. I did a degree in Mandarin instead, but I, I sort of, I specialised in contemporary Chinese art at the end of my degree, and I went um, to Beijing afterwards and worked in a couple of art galleries, and then I came how, back... How was,
3: how was that? How was... How was China? Food, well, yeah. two
4: of my, my friends who lived in China with me are here tonight. So uh, how was it? It was great. I mean, we were students there in, I think, 1999. It so was, it was
3: a very different
4: It was China, a very yeah. different China to what, what China is now. And, uh, you know, um, you couldn't buy any alcohol other than beer or Great Wall Wine, you know, which is so disgusting, no one would ever touch it. Well,
3: you wouldn't know by the name. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> it's not so appealing, Great yeah. Wall Wine
4: the China days were great. We we had a lot of fun. I i um, Were you in,
3: involved in, in Chinese food or cooking or not, um, not no you weren't interested but
4: in I ate an awful lot.
3: You started in the art world before you kind of shifted into more more food focused Yeah thing. Um
4: yes I did. Really I moved back from China because I was in love with this Englishman and I missed Wales terribly actually. And so um I moved back and I didn't didn't really know what I was going to do, where I was going to go. And I ended up um, working in a coffee shop, um, which was a deli that specialised in Spanish foods. And it happened to be in our local town in Wales. Um, it was called Comida, And I, I ended up working there for three years. And it was the most amazing job. I learnt so much. Paul and Shimona, who run it, are just, just like you and Sarit. Like, so passionate about what they do. They care so much about food, where it comes from, you know, what they cook. It was probably the happiest job I've ever had. After a couple of years, I I kind of left because I thought, I don't know, you know, if this is it forever, I don't know. And I was a producer for a um, clothing company for a while, so I used to organise events. And then um, we got married and moved to the Netherlands. I was in my late 20s and I suddenly sort of questioned, you know, what am I doing? I'm not doing anything I love, really. I mean, I enjoyed a lot of things, but I didn't really love any of what I did. So I decided that... I wanted to, I loved food, and I loved my job in Ultra comida, And so I thought, right, I'm just going to try and, and be a cook. I mean, part of the hardest thing about sort of organising event an event in West Wales is organising the food. And so I just used all my contacts and put the feelers out there and just said hey you know i'm not going to organize this event for you but i'd love to cook for it because all of these people had eaten stuff i'd cooked you know from the the deli i mean it's a small place word of mouth just sort of spread and i just started cooking for lots of amazing amazing things and the do lectures is one of them um which led me to write um co-write with my friends jen and mimi um, a book on preserving
3: so you had your kind of your background in chinese art your kind of abandoned gallery aspirations yeah. you moved into the world of food and you kind of created yourself your own little maybe gallery
4: At in the home. kitchen yeah I yeah.
3: think I mean I love Can museums I, say that, I think
4: yeah you know I love museums I love how things are curated oh the the room in the v and I don't know if any of you have been in there but it's one of my favorite places I could stand in there for hours so I suppose yeah my shelves are possibly a bit like a museum is this in what a you,
3: way you, you aspire to the glass room in the V&A that's <laughs> yes. the you want to get what we see in the pictures and in the book and on Instagram the shelves so you have more in storage
4: I'm afraid so yeah oh my it's god. Uh, oh my god yeah. and
3: actually last time I saw her was in a, in a festival in North Wales and she had two cast iron pans with a and a very depressed looking husband <laughs> so I have to say they don't they don't give you grief your family about your can I say hoarding <laughs>
4: You can, you can, can we say that? Yeah, yeah think I think you can say that. Um, no, I don't. No, they don't. They don't dare. No, absolutely not. Uh, no, I mean it. it you know, <laughs> I love ceramics, pottery, and you know, really enhances our day. I think using something that's handcrafted every day on your table. Most of what I collected from people I know. I, I actually, at school, my work experience at fourteen was in the local pottery in Wales, and I ended up working there every summer until I was. I think 21. So I learned to pot and they, you know, I actually sold a couple of pots at one point, but it's just something I don't have time for now, but I have a real passion for, for ceramics and pottery and craft. Definitely. And a lot
3: of what you get is is kind of second hand and
4: Yeah, I, you know, all my clothes are. I hate shopping um for things like that, but um All of my kitchen bits, they're either passed down from my great-grandmother, grandmother, grandmother, my mum. Most of our kitchen towels are all embossed with initials, and my mum's aunt in Germany never married, and she had, like, a whole dowry, a whole set of, like, tablecloths and napkins and things, all with her initials embossed on, but never ever used them but but like things that have that personal attachment you know stuff that was used by your great grandmother I just think you can't beat using a wooden spoon or um we used to collect milk together my grandmother and I in in milk pails and I still have them in the kitchen I mean clearly I don't collect milk at all anymore but I can't (laughs) I love having them on the shelf just seeing them every day thinking of her it's a it's a lovely thing
3: I mean it looks very kind of lived in and and homey it doesn't look you know if I say gallery people Mm. W- might imagine a, a white box or a white cube i should say yeah but um <laughs> it, it it all has a very homey feel very lived in it's not mm. not sterile when again we peek into your life through your instagram we see we, we see anya's dinner table you know for the kids and the family it always is so well turned out and i think this is how you came to 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 write this book? Is this how you mm, actually from, Emily from
4: I th- is here somewhere? I can't see her. Yes, yeah, so my agent Emily's over there, and I met with her and decided to uh, put a book together.
3: And that and was it. Was obvious to do to you that it's going to be a German cooking book?
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, it all happened quite naturally. I mean, you know, Emily came. She came to my house. I have to say, I met um, other literary agents in London, and Emily came to me. And when I met her, she had a six-week-old baby in her arms on the doorstep, and I just, you know, I mean, what other woman would come to your house, you know, with a six-week-old baby to meet you out of her way? And so I just knew, you know, Emily was it. And then we, so we we chatted for, like, that's two hours maybe, just, just about what I cooked at home, how, you know, and it was really interesting because she wanted to come and see my kitchen. And, you know, I really liked that uh, about her, and she was very interested in just the normal family food that I cook at home every day. And so decided that, you know, Germany was it. Yeah.
3: I mean, but it was a very, very kind of natural and obvious choice for you. But it's not, you know, for me, I can't say I ever think about German cooking. And when I do, it's not necessarily, No, you know, I <laughs> think,
4: yeah, <laughs> no, I think I it's a very today. ill-represented, you know, cuisine. And I, I think... I, I hope with this this book that it will sort of shed a new light on it. That uh, you know it will show. So, German what what, what you know. are the
3: misconceptions that I have about German cuisine? So <laughs> well, what, I think most
4: it? people probably think it's you know sausages and sauerkraut, which a lot of it is. I mean, there are hundreds of different types of sausages there, which you know it's amazing. It's not just one type. It's not just bratwurst. You know, there's there's lots of different things. But I'm um, very heavy, very meat heavy. And I don't know how many allotments are in Germany, 1,250,000, I think, which is an awful lot of allotments compared to you know what we have here. People love gardening, they love growing vegetables, they love vegetables. And I think, you know, we we don't realise how much, you know, we think it's all meat and, and stodgy. And actually, a lot of it's very fresh. I mean, there's a thing called Rohkost, um in Germany, which basically means raw food. And Lots of people feel that how you eat is, is a balance. And so if you eat something heavy and stodgy or lots of meat, you need to balance it with something raw, something fresher, something... Uh, you know, German cooking is much more about that, this overall balance with nature and with yourself, sort of overall well-being.
3: I mean, what's... Again, like like you said, yeah, sausages and, and sauerkraut. In this book, strudel, noodles and dumplings.
4: Strudel, noodles and poodles. Well, strudel, strudel, noodles, <laughs> poodles
3: and dumplings. New taste of German cooking. Uh, I mean... You do say new taste of German cooking because it's not just traditional German food. Yeah. There's a lot of kind of your home food and your kind of simplified versions of very traditional things or lighter things. Uh, but what really impressed me about this this book is that there is a lot more vegetables, a lot more freshness, a lot more uh, zingy flavors than mm. I expected. A yeah. lot, you know, a different kind of range of seasoning, a different range of you know, herbs and and ingredients that I didn't, you know, I I wouldn't know say what to do with with uh, with buckwheat, for example. Yeah,
4: I mean, buckwheat's very interesting because um, it wasn't originally grown in Germany, and so wheat um, was predominantly grown and and rye, and um, buckwheat came in for sort of poor soil conditions and as a cheap crop, um, and I think Germans initially didn't didn't like it much, and it was ground into flour but could only be used for biscuits and cakes because it's low in gluten so it was no good for making bread with um and so they kind of used the groats in things like porridge and soups and dumpling fillings and and then it kind of fell out of fashion again and apart from the flour the flour has kind of always been used throughout but and just recently it's really making a comeback and so many you know more recipes have it in and I, maybe it's because it's lower in gluten I I don't know really why but um Yeah, I enjoy using it an awful lot. And
3: also, I mean, delicious. What other ingredients would you say we would use? What are very
4: German or would be surprised at? Yeah. What surprises me a lot when I talk to my mum about, you know, the way she grew up and what she used to eat, there's a lot of things, recipes that are sort of old as the hills that we don't realize. Like, um,. There's a recipe in here for um, cauliflower salad with peaches. And the cauliflower is sort of, I blitz it in a food processor, so it's like cauliflower rice, which, you know, was kind of trendy two or three years ago. And you think is a new food fad. But my great-grandmother used to make cauliflower in her meat, in her sausage um, mangle on the table. She used to, you know, mince it down so that it was... Like rice, essentially, you know. There's a lot of things like that that seem like modern day things, but have actually been around for you know hundreds. of I mean, of years.
3: cauliflower and peaches is not you know. It sounds like the latest Toto recipe. It's, <laughs> it's, it doesn't sound like old German fare.
4: No, but I, I mean, I only know a Germany that that has a huge Italian influence, a Turkish influence. You know, to me, all of these flavors are the Germany that I, that I that I know and Greek as well. I mean, most towns have got, you know, an Italian ice cream parlor, a Greek restaurant, uh, you know, lots of Turkish like Donna is like the most popular street food.
1: Food.
3: You know, I was really surprised when you said about the allotments. Because mm. you don't think about, or is it just me? About Germany as a kind of, you know, fresh vegetables, obsessed and celebrated. I it's mean, I, you
4: know, Germans have, have struggled with their weight a lot as well. I mean, after in World War II, there was a fresh which was kind of this wave of gluttony where people just indulged themselves, became really fat um, drank a lot. They were just very, very unhealthy. And they they had loads of new flavors that they'd never had before. And they were, you know, just going crazy over uh, over everything. And as a result of that, um, vegetarianism became really big in Germany, because, you know, people were looking at how to lose weight. And then, you know, studies were done. And they were saying, you know, if you eat less meat and more vegetables, you're going to, you know, and I, I think we also don't don't think we would, I, I think a lot of people wouldn't associate, associate vegetarians or vegans with, with Germany,
3: yeah.
4: but there are a lot.
3: I want to talk a little bit about the the work on this book, which is very unique, that y- you wrote the book, you wrote the recipes, <laughs> and took the pictures.
4: Yeah, yeah.
3: Which, you, you I mean, you're not a professional photographer, you're not a trained photographer, but this book is, I mean, beautifully shot. I just want to, like, I, I had to I have to show you guys. She
2: also cooked the food. Yeah, yeah. and cooked the, the food.
3: food. Yeah, that's amazing. Were, were you... Were you like, how did you go about that? Like, just, you know, say, well, oh, I mean, you do a cookbook, which you never, you know, you've done the before. The whole thing,
4: I mean, feels like a bit of a joke, really. I mean, when I spoke to Emily at the start, Emily said to me, I love your pictures, Anya, because they're so natural. You know, when you pitch this book, why didn't you say that you'll do the photos too? So I was like, sure, because I never thought I would be holding this book. Yeah, of course I'll do it. And then Louise, um, my publisher, was on board with the idea, which was amazing and actually just totally gave me free reign to to you know do it the way I wanted to do it which I I feel very grateful and very lucky for so um I bought a camera and I phoned my friend Jonathan up um Chez who is a photographer an amazing photographer and I said can you come and stay for a night because um I've just I'm going to start writing this book and, and I've actually got to take the photos too and I don't know how to use the camera. So he came to stay for 2 days and basically gave me this crash course on how to take a photo. Actually, I think quite often when you when you start doing something it's sometimes better not to know too much. And this is
3: why we work with Patricia. <laughs> <laughs>
0: because I don't know or you
4: don't. It's
3: <laughs> a <laughs> mix. Nobody knows anything. <laughs>
4: I mean, I can, the first set of photos I, I took into Louise, I, she very tactfully said to me, you know, um, we are trying to sell the food with these photos, because I think a lot of the photos I took were sort of midway through a meal, and, uh, you know, a plate can look very, very messy, and so... So you were
3: actually taking the pictures of the actual meal Of the
4: boys eating, yeah, of the... So everything that, that's in here was cooked to eat and shot as, as it as it was eaten and I mean I suppose I cheated it in some ways because a lot of the meals I've put in here are, are solo lunches which was just me and so the the plates are still That's look, not cheating no. <laughs>
3: that's the normal way of doing it that's not cheating at all um, but uh, So you had to do to do a photo shoot for the first time with three very young boys
4: Yes, yes.
3: trying to... They
4: were very patient, they were very patient I mean, you know, it was a bit of a bizarre thing because all of a sudden your mummy is, might be standing on a ladder, you know, when <laughs> she served the food and then she's like, okay, you know eat it slowly and stop you know, and it's uh, yeah, and I d- sweat a lot, I don't know if you sweat Patricia, yeah. but like I'm standing on the top of this ladder yeah, yeah, and it's, yeah okay. yeah, I bet they do, I bet they do We
3: have like a little bucket <laughs>
4: Literally, I, I would take the photo and then put the camera down and eat dinner. And so I, I hope it didn't interfere too much with, with our meals, our life.
3: Well, we'll do um, t- in twenty years from now. We'll have Anya's kids yeah. here yeah. <laughs> and discuss that. Yes. I think maybe with a professional. <laughs> um,
4: that lot, quite often, people say to me on Instagram, you know, do your kids really eat that? Is that really, you know? And of course, there's complaints at the table. They're not perfect. You know, I'm not perfect. It's it's you know, lots of the food ends up on the floor, probably.
3: They, what do they think about the book? They, about they love themselves it. They're very the proud
4: that, you know, their hand is there scooping yoghurt or eating their chicken dinner, whatever it is. Yeah, I think... I love it. I have to
3: show this to everyone because this is probably my favourite picture of the little, the little, uh,
4: uh, the little <laughs> picnic
3: <laughs> on the playroom floor.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think I do this less now. But when the boys were very small, uh, all, a lot of our meals were on the floor. I, you know, it's it's a natural place to eat with little ones. I think so. Um, I think if you go back into my Instagram archives, most pictures have got feet feet involved.
3: Again, you you guys will flick through and you'll see that the there's it 's not only another beautiful book, because there are so many beautiful books there's something very, very genuine about and very, very honest and I think you know again this process i don 't think anyone that I know has ever done anything like this i mean it 's very uh extreme, and I think it shows it comes across beautifully it comes across very very well
4: thank you
3: yes, my dear uh, what was your children's
4: favorite recipe? Which
3: is one they really liked. Okay, that's a great one. Any type of noodles. Hey, repeat that. Oh,
4: yes. Sorry, it Uh, matters.
3: What was your kid's favourite recipe from the book?
4: Um, Any type of noodles. Um, Pancakes. They love pancakes. Waffles. I mean, you know, pretty. I I think most kids, if you give them pasta or a pancake, they're going to be happy. Um, So, yeah. The kind of basic stuff.
3: Most adults, as well, I think. Yeah, that covers pretty much, I so. I pretty so. much humanity, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good one. There's, and there's some great um, the dumplings that we made today. Uh, we did these potatoes and marjoram dumplings, which are. Mm. So actually,
4: so I've got to say that the food that that's chosen to, for tonight that you're, you guys are going to eat are really traditional recipes. So the book is kind of a mixture of very traditional German food, which is what you'd expect, I think of Germany, and then a much more sort of lighter modern uh, approach. I mean for
3: me they're not they they're again they're not what I'd imagine. This is not what I'd imagine is German, German food. We made these these dumplings that I told you about these potato dumplings, very delicately flavored with marjoram. And the texture is actually really beautiful, somewhere between um, mashed potato and gnocchi, kind of halfway, they're very, very tender. I, I think they're really, really special. Uh, we made uh, slow-cooked beef with marjoram, which has a kind of a very delicate, sweet and sour um, balance. A little bit, yeah. yeah. And uh, the marjoram really takes it to interesting uh, place that I, I didn't expect. I have to say we have a uh, cabbage sauteed with dill and caraway. It's you know, a beautiful combo, really really fresh, very very zingy. Sprouts with cream and nutmeg. Cream which and is nutmeg, yeah. Sprouts like you've never had before. <laughs> it's really really good. Um and Anya brought her you have to have a black forest.
4: Chocolate yeah. mint and cherry cake, yeah.
3: Yeah. Very easy to cook and I have to say very thrifty. Yeah, it's I not
4: think
3: it's not kind of fancy expensive ingredients yeah
4: no and uh, you know I, I like simple cooking um, and simple you know recipes easy things t- to yeah. make uh, yeah
3: so you lived all across the world and you say that your mom and you cook your German food mm. everywhere mm. and were you kind of struggling with ingredients or
4: Um things like milk in Asia more so we used to go to a farm once every two weeks to get milk it was the only place in Indonesia that that were near us that we could find and um, just milk,
3: it, just plain milk. E Milk, plain yeah. milk,
4: and um, basically by the time you're taking this home in a hot car, it was kind of almost gone off already. So, so mum used to make yogurt with it every two weeks. We used to travel with mum's sourdough starter everywhere we went. I mean, <laughs> and I think this was times when airplane travel was, you know, much easier in terms of security. I, I can remember somewhere, somewhere we got stopped by security halfway through. A flight and mum had a sabatier kitchen knife in her hand luggage, and she told the guy, you know, security, I'm just, you know, this is for me to chop apples for the kids and, and some cheese while we're travelling, and they're like, and he was like, okay, fine, yeah, that's fine. And her sourdough starter literally was in her hand luggage. It's travelled all over the world and has been going for, I mean, I, I for years and years. Came from her mother. Came from, you know.
3: Yes, ma'am.
0: So, um, you're saying. That grew up in Wales, but Germany was, you always felt very German, mm. but do you think that, and you said, but you said you missed Wales when you lived away, mm. how do you think
4: Wales has influenced
3: your cooking? Okay, ah. so h- how do you think Wales has influenced your cooking, even though you have all, you know, very strong German heritage? And also I'll add to this question saying, are there any Welsh um, mm. star appearances in the book?
4: Yeah, there is one Welsh star appearance in the book, which is quark toast, which is basically a Welsh rabbit that just uses quark. So, you know, making it slightly German. I, sp- I think, you know, we had a vegetable garden growing up um, where we had lamb's lettuce in and all these things that grow here, but might be perceived as German um, vegetables to grow, called rabi, things like that, that I forage an awful lot. Um, which is also d- done in Germany, but the stuff I forage has is, is always been in Wales. Um, so wild garlic, also very popular in Germany, but um, I think most food that I cook in Wales is foraged and is free or fished from the sea. Where we live in Wales is, is just, you know, a short walk from the beach. I can see the sea from my window. So the sea plays a huge part in, in what I cook there. A lot of crab, a lot, you know, very, very different to... Um, to German German stuff actually. What's your guilty pleasure? Food? Like what would you eat as, and not tell anyone that you eat? I think that oh.
3: that's the four o'clock cocktail question. that oh, I Yeah. Have. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the four o'clock cocktail. So I like a cocktail. This is
3: the, by the this the the is the last yeah. chap the last chapter in the book is called the Four O'Clock Cocktail. Mm yes and there's a really really yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) there's a really funny story there
4: I uh (laughs) (laughs) yeah the four o'clock cocktail kind of started I think as a one or two o'clock cocktail and um, then I um I've got three young boys and I had them pretty much back to back so for five years I was either pregnant or breastfeeding so didn't drink anything at all and um on one particularly bad day when we lived in America I uh, we'd, we were in a park in the summer and they had kind of like tropical summer thunderstorms and lots of rain and i came back we left the park soaking wet from this sudden sort of onset of a thunderstorm and i got back home to realize i didn't have my keys with me and i had a screaming you know one year old in the back who was tired and and um couldn't get into the house my husband was overseas i The next door neighbour had the spare key but wasn't in. And I kind of just thought, God, I I really need a drink, you know. And (laughs) it's the first time in five years that I actually thought, you know, I really... And so, and I had 30... $30 $30 in my wallet, so I drove to the liquor store and I got some probably very bad snacks for the for the boys and I, I bought myself the ingredients to fix up a whiskey sour on the porch and some plastic cups and I, I made myself um, a whiskey sour and and then the the world was alright again and I think, <laughs> as, I'll probably get into trouble for saying this, but I think as a, as a sort of harried mum who's sort of at the end of her tether, there's something so fabulous about an afternoon cocktail and um it kind of it kind of turned into the four o'clock cocktail when the boys started school because it was that kind of hour when they get home and they're whingy and tired and exhausted, and you're starting to think about dinner that really you need need it
3: <laughs> and I, I love the thought process saying you know i'm stuck outside, the kids are, <laughs> are angry. what do I need to do yeah. cocktail <laughs> <laughs> and I mean it does it, it works you can't fault it yeah. I love the, I love that it's not. You know, just kind of drinking from the bottle, but actually fixing yourself. <laughs> I think that's very class, and actually very much. You know, I'm I'm glad that we you told the story because this for me is is, you know, yes, we spoke about German food and travel and 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 visual things, but this maybe is the essence of this book for me, that it's it's just about, you know, relaxing, having fun. Yeah, every
4: just, day, I, it's about you know how. How we are at home every day and living life around the table. And I think, you know, it should be fun, you know, and, and fun and above, after being, four above it being, is. being. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yes.
3: <laughs> Guys, please, a big, big hand to Anya here. <clears throat> for listening to our latest episode if you'd like to join one of the next talks please follow us on social media at honey and co or go on our website honeyandco.co.uk we would really appreciate if you took some time and rated us at itunes only five stars please with a huge thanks to hester kant for producing and the music is by the lovely alice russell thanks for listening bye felicias